a childhood without fun. All men are created equal. And escaping to America. This is the story of Lily Tongue Williams, today on Spirit Inspire, starting right now. Broadcasting from the Cathedral of the Assumption in Louisville, Kentucky, this is Spirit Inspire. And now, here is your host. Welcome to Spirit and Spire, everyone. I am your host today, John Soule. Joined with me, my co-hosts, Brian Kane. Hello, everyone. And Eric Huff. Howdy. Isaac couldn't be with us today. We are today with a special guest, though, Lily Tung Williams. She grew up in China during Mao's Cultural Revolution. Uh, and we have a, the great honor of having her with us today to tell her story and what she went through during that time and how she came to America. So welcome, Lily. Well, thank you for having me. This is a great honor to be here with you, with the panel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a great honor to have you. Uh, and we have several questions for you because uh, you've lived quite an adventurous life, perhaps compared <laughs> to maybe the rest of us guys uh, uh, here today and uh, perhaps many of our viewers. So uh, I would start with my question because for most Americans, day-to-day -day life in Asia is pretty unknown. You know, we don't really get a sense of that. And so what would you say life was like growing up in China? Well, like I, I was born just uh, two years before Mao's Cultural Revolution. And uh, my parents were uh, illiterate workers. And uh, so my memory basically started in this uh, community courtyard, like a row house where eight families like I have one door to go inside their own apartment with their families. But the eight families share this row house, like workers' row house, and then one bathroom at the end of the row house. Um, it's, it's a big wow. ground on the floor with divider in the middle. So half for men, half for women. So basically one, one place where you can go to use the bathroom and for the entire community. <laughs> wow. So people people have no idea what is really poverty like that time. And uh, so, but of course that was very primitive, very primitive and depends on your positions inside of the Communist Party, which is one party controls everything. And if your positions were higher, maybe your apartment assignment would be better. And uh, so by the way, we're like an illiterate workers' family, so my parents, that's all they got. So we just had, we had two rooms, and we had a, um, um, like a one water faucet for the eight families where you go stay in line, get your water, and you stay in line for the bathroom, or, or you have one little party in your own bed, um, in your own apartment, so when you have to go, you have to go, and they just dump back later, that a peasant will come every two weeks to dump, to get all the human waste out to take to the agriculture field. I was born 1964, so Mao started Cultural Revolution in 1966. And then my memory started when I was uh, probably four or five years old. And uh, so that's just like give people the historical perspective of when I was born, you know. So your first memories were right as it all began. Yeah, my first memory started uh, on I just remember Cultural Revolution at the peak of Cultural Revolution that the Red Guards sing Mao songs, hold a little Red Mouse books and and all the black classes supposed to be all oppressors and 
getting public shamed and criticizing this a huge public square and to apologize and for being a black class. And uh, so if you tell, don't... Lily, tell us yeah. more about some of these terms because, you know, we're a lot of our audience and, and me too, yeah. we're learning some of this stuff as you talk. So right. You guys. <laughs> I'm not sure what the classes are. Yeah, let's understand red guards Mm -hmm. and then also the black classes. Tell us a little bit about that for context. So so Chairman Mao, basically, he was a leader of PRC since funding 1949. And he always used political campaigns like land reform to take all the lands from landowners. And he killed like too many landowners, so-called landlords. And then he started, uh, and then later the great leap forward campaign again to say, let's boost our production. So that campaign, by following his uh, central planning policies, and that caused a mass famine. So you probably heard how many people die of starvation. 40 million peasants who supported Mao's communism start of mass famine. So Mao lost lots of power because of that. Then there was a new president called the new Sao Chi become new president of China. And the Mao started the Cultural Revolution outside of Beijing, outside the party, to get the young people organized to mm. do this Cultural Revolution and then call them Red Guards. The purpose of that, of course, I learned that the truth after I came to the United States to study China history, the real history, not my CCP, like a Communist Party vision of history. So he used this to purge his political enemies inside of Communist Party by using young kids. So he used a traditional Marxist theory. If you read the Communist Manifesto, um, oppressor versus oppressed. The, the that, Marxist dialectic. Yes. Yeah, class and, warfare. Yeah, class warfare. But, uh, he, but the Mao did even further. He put uh, five black classes under oppressors. There are landlords, rich farmers, rightists, bad influencers, and the county revolutionaries. So you got the three categories were very subjective. Who defines Right, those terms. What and was the third one you said? I didn't understand the third one. Rightist. Rightist. What is that? Anybody can be rightist. Oh, oh just so like a writer. right of the political spectrum? On the right of the oh, okay. rightist. That means, so let's say you might disagree with party policies. Rightist. <laughs> then you, okay. you can lose wow. your job. Then you can be black class. They're defining them as they went, right? Oh, yeah, because that's very subjective. So who defines them? So. Basically, the Communist Party supporters of Mao, they defined together. Mao was very, very savvy when it comes to political campaigns and, uh, and the control the narratives, the terms, the definitions. And uh, then, uh, and uh, now who were the five red classes under oppressed? Me, workers, families, like uh, workers, peasants, soldiers, all the Communist Party officials and, and the members, and also they, um, they called, the, you know, like the people died for revolution, the heroes and their mm. families. So, but the, it looks like a, it's just a big umbrella for five red and five black. I was taught to hate 
five black classes. They were the enemies of the state, enemies of the people. So my memory started like, oh, red guards were saying red songs, hold the mouse little red books in the public square, doing called a club, like struggle sessions, struggle sessions for those uh, black classes. And uh, my awful memory that I just discovered last year um, is that uh, I don't want, you know, when you were traumatized as a child, you don't want to talk about those, you sure. know. Right. I just remember those black classes were very pale inside the military truck with the red guards behind them, and their head were down where their name, Piker, in front of them, and with, you know, hands behind, probably, you know, handcuffed, and they were going to be publicly executed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I got so scared. I was a child, right? I was like probably four or five years old, but that's how my memory started on the street. Just, just look at those. My, you know, my, my grandmother, I was babysitted by my grandmother before even first grade. And, uh, and, and he's, uh, my, my grandmother's apartment was very close to this uh, park like a kind of public park, there's the huge public square, and that's where they did their struggle sessions. So yeah. this wasn't something you saw on television. This is something you saw in the street we where you not, lived. We did not have television. We're too poor to have radio even. And I saw with my own eyes, I heard with my own ears. That's why I call myself an eyewitness of Mao's Cultural Revolution. And, uh, and another memory, be- now you understand what the black classes were. Yeah, Another yes. memory, I swept under the rock for years. I think I got traumatized. And my grandma's families and the neighborhoods, the entire neighborhood ran on one community water well for water supply. Mm. We didn't, they did not have water faucet at that time. So it was 20 foot deep water well. And uh, it was not even inside my grandma's courtyard. It was like the next one. And I just heard people say, come on, look, come on, see, come on, see. I, I went there to say something. And everybody was running that way. So I went to say the water well on top of that 20 foot deep water well, there was a, a naked guy floating on top of water mm. and the bald head. And I just ran away. It's like so scary, right? <laughs> just yeah. like somebody died there in our water. Mm. And, uh, and they were asked who he was. Until last year, I was talking about Cultural Revolution. I was uh, feared, kind of worried about the American, what's going on. So I asked my uncle in China, who was that guy, uncle, my favorite uncle. I had three uncles. He said, uh, oh, a black class family. And mm. he, he could not handle the pressure anymore, the torture anymore. He committed suicide. Mm. So, so just remember, those are two of my childhood memories that... Uh, it's like I trying to even just sweep under the rock and, and not to talk about it, not to think about it until recent years. No. I would just focus on my American life, you know. Well, <laughs> you, you, you went through trauma. You know, I can't imagine yeah. how hard that would be to travel through. I mean, in many ways, you are on a journey, right? And you're traveling through these horrific moments and things that you couldn't control. Mm-hmm. And to arrive at a place where you maybe felt safe enough and distant enough from it to look back mm-hmm. with a, a sense of confidence and desire right. to unearth that, that's incredibly uh, important for anyone who needs to hear this, especially when there may be some of those subtle signs of that kind of revolution going on 
today in different parts of the world, even in our own country. Right, right. It's a.、Uh, I I hear. I think the reason I'm digging into my deep childhood memory now is、uh, after twenty years come to this country since nineteen eighty eight, and I learn English. I learn about our political system, and、uh, I read some books, and、uh, basically. Twenty years took took me twenty years in this country to get rid of all the indoctrination I received from China. Well, let's stay there for a minute because I was、yeah. I was going to ask about like what was school like as a、mm-hmm. child?、Um, did you did, were you in school every day?、Uh, I mean, I imagine in your early years, you know, the revolution was happening. Were they already? I guess the Communist Party was already in control of everything at that time. Well, that yeah,、right? they. But it wasn't necessarily Mao's leadership. Right. Well,、yet. PRC People's Republic of China was founded in 1949. Okay. And、uh, as I said, Mao started different campaigns:、uh-huh. three anti, five anti, land reform, and the Great Leap Forward, then the Cultural Revolution. Okay. So I was born right, like a. Two years right before the Cultural Revolution, so the my uncle generations like、uh, my uncle is、uh, I think he just turned sixty nine, and just、uh, this month. So my uncle generation, I have three uncles, one aunt, and they're still in China, and they are the ones who were like red guards and、um, mm. age group. So Mao shut down schools completely, no schools, closed、mm. all schools. So. Ask young people, urban youth, to go to do political struggles daily for him.、Mm. That's where I told you about struggle sessions, and the red classes supposed to against the black classes, and、uh, so my uncle generation never finished high school,、mm. and、uh, but I was too young, of course, even to go to school. I just saw what's unfolding in China. So the height of Cultural Revolution. Like I told you, when I was four or five years old, it's basically sixty-eight and sixty-nine. Those times, and、uh, the country was completely chaotic, and, com- and the economy was really, really bad. I just remember we're just hungry, you know, just could not get enough food. Every family supposed to register for food rationing coupons, and I was just hungry all the time. You know, I my uncle told me how to go get a rat. In my grandmother's courtyard, yeah, go catch a rat because running around there, very dirty, you know, and、uh, then you can maybe burn it on the fire and suck on the bones, and and pretty soon rats run out too, and、uh, so I was just child, just want to say where can I get more food? You know, my hunger, you know, my tummy was hungry, and、uh, by the time I was allowed to go to school, it's already at the peak of Cultural Revolution. The red guards were become very violent against each other. Like they have like、mm. this group, that group fighting inside the cities, and the Mao already achieved godlike supreme leader status.、Mm. So the military people advise Mao to say, "You should get rid of those kids now. They're become very violent. You know, literally, you see bodies were flow down in from the rivers." And the general said,、uh, "You need to think about something. What to do with those、uh, violent kids fighting each other?" So Mao started another campaign called the "Down to the Mountain" campaign. That means all the urban youth red guards who worship him did all the 
Cultural Revolution for him and called uh, getting rid of four old old culture, old custom habits and ideas. And uh, so what I'm wearing this uh, Chinese style blouse yeah. soak was supposed to be also four old. When you when 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 the red guard go door to door looting private properties and saw you have four old old furniture, old clothes like this, old pictures or something then you'll get into trouble. So people were trying to bury this kind of clothes or books and photos and from past, mm. either burn them or bury them, get rid of them because they don't want to get caught. Because if you get caught, you could be black class, you can go to neighbor camps. So after all that years, Redgar did mouse bidding and uh, fighting, right? And going after people, black class, and Mao wanted them to go to the countryside to be re-educated by peasants. That's what the mountain, called the Down to the Mountain campaign is about. And uh, so my uncle, my three uncles, one and each family is allowed to have one youngest child at home be with parents. So my three older uncles had to all go to countryside mm. and uh, eight years, 10 years and 12 years, only come home visit my grandparents, us once a year. Mm. So, so they, so my favorite uncle, 17, he went to countryside and come home once a year. I, I remember when he was sending away to countryside, I had nine pennies, Chinese money. I love this uncle. I said, uncle, you can have my money, my savings, nine pennies, Chinese cents, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he was kind of sad, you know, and my grandmother was crying and all that. And, uh, and I was able to go to school because my basically said, okay, we don't want the violence in Dominant street anymore, kind of like mafia dominant street, scary stuff, you know. All law enforcement were told to shut down. Do not enforce. So you can literally watch people torture to death and no law enforcement will intervene. Lots of red guards, they belong to their own families. So they will report to the red guard leaders, my mom is black class because she said this, she wrote this, mm. and the red guards were tortured their mom to death. And, and uh, there's this horrible stories about young kids who feel like they were doing the right thing and turning their family members to the authorities. Then watch their parents torture to death and they regret the rest of their life. There's some story on the internet about that. So I was able to go back to school because Mao said, okay, he went back to Beijing. He house arrested the, the another guy who is his political enemy. He took over China, become number one supreme leader, and he sent all the kids who supported him to countryside for 10 years, average 10 years. So I was going to school, but I remember the first thing we did in school is to read Chen My Mouth Little Books. And it's Monday through Friday. Oh no, it's Monday through Saturday anyway. Um, everybody worked for state. So my parents always work. As mothers, you don't have choice to stay home. You must work. You have a guaranteed job. You must work, but you don't get paid much money because we're hungry, we're starving. You live on food rationing coupons. But if you don't work, then you don't get the food. So everybody has to work. I just remember that uh, when I went to school, and then we hold a little red mouse books, and we sing songs, and we read his quotations, and, and then we, we will do our studies. And so we barely had time for any other things. All religions, churches, temples, all were shut down, banned, called cult religions. And so the only religion you were allowed to believe is, is communism. And we had to write diaries to confess to Chen Mao as student. So he become 
like our God,、mm. basically. And in your diary, you supposed to say, "Chair, my mom, I'm I confess, I'm sorry. Today I say something, or heard something, or I thought about something is not correct.、Mm. You apologize, right? And then yeah, you confess. Then、yeah. you also urge to report in your diary whoever says something is not politically correct,、mm. and whoever include your family members and your neighbors. So this is I, robbing you of thought, even. No, sword crime. Sword crime is real crime. Yeah. Sword crime. So I, I, I was smart enough to, to know my diary is not private.、Mm. So I will play the game to be politically correct. But I always, here's what happened to me. I have this extra sense in my head to protect me and my family, is because when I was. A, Six years old, supposed to go to first grade. My parents begged me to stay home to babysit my baby brother. He was one year old. Um, under when when you were infant, when you go to state daycare, state factory daycare is super expensive. My parents, so everything is free under communism. Is okay. It's a big lie. It's never true. So my parents said, please, we cannot afford his daycare, and we need you to stay home to watch him for him. That means delay your school for a year. I threw a big fit because I wanted to go to school so bad. My parents are illiterate. That's why I thought that was the reason for them to be hungry, not have enough food, and、uh, I thought that was the reason. So I want to get educated. I want to read, but、mm-hmm. they told me you cannot go to school for a year because you need to babysit your baby brother. So I stay home babysit. They bribe me with a movie ticket to、uh, watch, like Romania fighting Nazis or something. So so so. So by the time I got seven years old, I finally go to school. I was so motivated. I was best student. So when you're best student, you're supposed to join Mao's Young Pioneer in a red scarf. You、mm. wear red scarf because I was red child. I was eligible, but teacher have to approve you, nominate you to join Mao's、um, Young Pioneer. And、uh, I was a little bit too confident. I told my girlfriend. I will be the first one to join because I'm red child. I'm best student. I made one hundred percent on all my subjects. <laughs> She reported on me. She reported to my <laughs>、oh. teacher. So my teacher called me into office at the age of seven to say, "We have a collective society. Your individual expression of self confidence is not allowed, and、uh, we're not going to let you join Mao's Young Pioneer to wear that red scarf. You need to learn your lesson. You need to." Be like everybody else. Everybody else is like a right, like a machine, like a robot. So you're. It's not about individualism, and、uh, so I I complained to my parents, and my parents were very brainwashed. They supported the, my teacher. So I told myself at the age of seven, I need to keep some sense private to myself. Don't trust my family. Don't trust my friends.、Wow. Who knows who's gonna report me. So I have learned that since age of seven. That's how I survived China.、Mm. After that, <laughs> so Lily, I, I ask one more question because you, clearly family was very difficult. Religion was basically non-existent,、no. and you know your parents seemed to be bought into this as well. As a child who couldn't even think or share anything with your family or friends, what did you do for fun? No fun, no fun. I do not remember one single toy I had, and、uh, I had a I had a one fun that was very sad even to talk about it. 
I don't have a radio, right? But my neighbor who had a better position and in the factory had a radio. And once in a while I heard this beautiful, beautiful, like a piano, classic music during the news break for one minute. It's like, oh, that's so beautiful. Can I, can I please come to listen to it? And I said, well, okay, it's okay, just one minute. So I was like, oh, my tears will come out. I was like, oh, so beautiful, you know. And later I learned, it's like, oh, that's classic music. And, uh, but I just feel so happy to hear that. And, uh, and that was my fun. I had a little world to escape to, just enjoying my music. And, uh, and I was really a child, it was like, supposed to be a worker's rule, communist country. How come our life was like that? But, but I was told Taiwanese people were suffering. We need to liberate them. Americans are bad. And we should be grateful for Communist Party. They saved us from poverty. And uh, so I just don't know what to think. I just want to escape that little world for, ten, for one minute to listen to classic music. Well, I had other fun, like uh, if I get a Chinese New Year, my family will give me a little bit of cash. I can go buy some candies and go buy some school supplies. And once a year, I got new clothes for Chinese New Year. If my family were all right, you know, did all right, save money all year. So you could have one piece of clothes. And uh, so that was my fun, but I didn't have twice. Well, when I had my birthday every year, if I was lucky, I get a boiled egg. Like, happy birthday, here you won't boil your egg. Lots of Chinese young people today, they don't know about that past. It is true, my generation, who, who grew up under Mao's Cultural Revolution, you were lucky to have a boiled egg. And, uh, and, and that was my fun. And I was trained to be adult because I'm the oldest out of three children. I'm supposed to Oh, save good food for my mom who was sick all the time. My dad was working hard. I had to ride a public bus to go to work all the time. So I'm supposed to be the adult for my two younger brothers and take care of them and save food for them, this or that. I don't know what fun I had. I had fun too, wrestle, like doing some kind of game and in the community courtyard. Uh, we don't have toys, so what we do, we draw a big castle on the floor, a little floor, like on the mud, mud ground floor. Then we will draw the castles. So one group here, one group there, if you want to occupy another side castle, then you win. So you have two groups fighting each other, so you have to wrestle with each other to get into another side of the foot. Like, oh, I won, Whenever, whoever go there, you know, you put your foot down, it's like you put a flag there, you win. That was our fun. And I, for that reason, I was always uh, kind of like a group leader. And uh, there's another guy who is a group leader. And uh, that's how I got into fight one time with him. <laughs> and he did not, ha he was not happy when our group won. He fought me, I fought him, but of course I was a little girl for the same age, he was not more strong. He put me on the ground, he just fight me like that. I was screaming, kicking. I know I lost, and I was strong enough to even turn over standing up. And, but I made a, such a hell for him <laughs> to beat me up and to fight me, to try to control me. After that, he always leave me alone. <laughs> it's like, oh, this, this girl, it's not easy. 
to be bullied or fight. It's like, mm. oh, better just, you know. Uh, later, when we grow up, we still say hi to each other. But he was in my courtyard. So, so that was uh, our fun, you know. So that, uh, of course, by the time after I went to school, school become fun. Doesn't matter how much, it, you know, like you say, the word indoctrinate, we say red sounds. But I learned how to read. Mm -hmm. I learned pinyin. The Chinese write the Chinese characters. And my parents never could help me, so that's how I become the you know the best student. Mm. And I did eventually, you know, one year later, wear my red scarf, and they let me to join after wow. I learned my lesson. Wow. Sell my lips, don't. I will tell you, Lily, you have a tenacity about you, a spirit of endurance, and uh, and it shows. And so I think uh, the the story of that. Uh, that strength that you've clearly demonstrated in the trauma you endured and your ability to latch on to things that were confident and certain, I think will help us as we enter our next segment in uh, really delving into how you came to be your truest self, you know? So we'll uh, join uh, in our second segment uh, after these words. Hey everyone, this week's episode is sponsored by Family Renewal Project. FRP is a local theology of the body apostolate in service to the Archdiocese of Louisville. They're dedicated to renewing the culture through the renewal of the family. They have so many amazing things going on, so check them out at familyrenewalproject.com. Welcome back to Spirit and Spire. We've had a wonderful time so far, uh, intense time with our guest, Lily Tung Williams, as she grew up in communist China under Mao and his cultural revolution. And our second segment is going to be led by Brian, and, uh, and then we'll continue to delve into the story of Lily. Brian? All right, thanks, John. Lily, um, so, during the break, you said something which I thought was very powerful, and you mentioned that um, that even expressing yourself through tears, we, we brought up that we've talked about the gift of tears before on the show, yeah. uh, and that it comes up somewhat frequently on our show, and, and we do consider tears a gift. And you mentioned that in your childhood, you were not allowed to express emotion other than inappropriate times, like you know, you were you laugh, you're supposed to laugh at the certain things, not cry. Um, but I also wanted to get into sort of uh, a little bit about your parents. Um, and I, I saw an article uh, about your dad getting to move here to America and he ended up getting baptized. You wrote an article about him for Father's Day. Um, so maybe help us a little bit now understand um, your family life and then the moment uh, where you where you leave China. And, um, and, and, and let's, let's start to unpack that, mm -hmm. if you don't mind. Maybe you could start with the, the emotion stuff, though, because, like, not crying, that was very powerful. Well, um, say all communist countries are very oppressive regimes, and they do not allow individual expressions. When you cry, feel sad. When you're happy, you laugh. To them, if it's not the right moment, you shouldn't do that. It's not politically correct. And when Mao died, we had to mourn his death for about one month. And if you smile, you know, laugh that time, you will be criticized, like, what's wrong with you? Are you counter-revolutionary? Mao died, how dare you to laugh, have fun? They will cancel all entertainment, all music, all things, all shows. 
and uh, nothing fun. It was all everything was politicized, and uh, and the, and if you cry when it's not appropriate time, they will think you're crazy. When you're supposed to be happy, say kumbaya, long live Chiang Mai Mao, and if somebody cry, they think you know why are you crying? You know that uh, um, it's kind of funny um, during COVID, China still under one party dictatorship. When Wuhan families go to the um, cemetery, pick up their loved ones' urns, ashes inside the urns, they were told not to cry because it would be bad PR. It would make everybody cry and screaming because their loved ones died. Lots of people died that time. And the one woman just, just, just totally broke down crying and she was taken away. So to understand the horror of communism, you have to understand how how inhuman they are. They want to suppress your regular human, um, even expressions. You cannot express your emotions. You're just supposed to look like a robot and uh, like, like everybody else. That, did you see all the Chinese movies? Everybody looks the same, dressed the same, just emotionless. That's what they want you to be. I was always born, I was born happy. So even that time, I was always smiling, going to school. Good morning, teacher. You know, this or that. Sometimes the people were saying, why are you so happy? Mm. Taiwanese people are suffering. You know, we need to go liberate them. Like basically they tell us all the political rhetorics. You're not supposed to be happy. And even though, so I learned very quickly to be PC to say, oh, I'm happy because the Chairman Mao is talking to me. I was so brainwashed, it didn't happen to me. Sometimes uh, I would be outside and all of a sudden I feel like when I look at the clouds in the sky, I saw Chairman Mao's face smiling at me, mm. you know, as a child. And, uh, and his face also were arise in the fire when we cook stir fried Chinese food, you have to use like woods to, you know, burn fire. And uh, so that's what I learned. Okay, I'm just using those political PC words to, to cover myself. So so I said, yeah, I'm talking to Chairman Mao. Oh, good child. And let me say, it's okay, you smile, mm. now you're happy because mm. you're talking to Chairman Mao. It's just a totally just so, you know, now when I look back, it's just unbelievable, so inhuman. Yes. So, so tell us a little bit um, now, you know, so what, what, what prompted you to leave China? How did that come about as you're getting older? I know you said you lived there until you were about 12. Is that right? Mao died when I was 12. Oh, Mao died Mao when you were 12. Died when okay, I was so, 12. so help us understand, like, when, what were some of the moments that, um, that led to you sort of starting to maybe question things? Or, or yes, how did, what did uh, that look like? So remember, we, we were chanting, don't leave chip my mouth, 10,000 years, double 10,000 years, another 10,000 years. We never questioned that. Never, never question that. Um, but so he was like a god. When he died, I think I still had some brain left. I knew I'm not supposed to ask that question publicly. So, but I was asking my own head. Somebody lied to me. Or my entire generation, my uncle's generation. He's human. He died. He's mortal. And uh, so that was first time in my life. I ask questions because we're not asked, we are not supposed to ask any questions in schools, at homes. Even when I whisper with my neighbors, ask questions, they were talking about something very quiet. And they say, no, 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 go away, child. Don't ask questions. Yeah. Everybody trying to protect themselves. Because we had two neighbors disappear that time. I just want to ask questions, where did they go? You know? It's like, shh, 
if I don't know what's going on. So, so I say the what? Maybe I can. I I was lost when Mao died. I was lost. It's like you lost your religion, right? Completely lost soul. And uh, so when I was fourteen, party come out say Mao was a human being. They verified that、mm. <laughs> Mao was human being, and his Cultural Revolution was mistake. And but twenty million people died.、Mm. So now let's focus on reboot the economy. Let's focus on school now. So school、mm. all reopened, like、mm. include colleges. So I could have shut down in college、mm. by being a best student and go take this nationalized college exam. So so from so when party come out to say Mao was not God, he was human. I I I was I mean I was very sad and very lost and I was I think I was depressed. I don't know what to believe anymore. And I had a new goal. Okay, I'm gonna be best student. I go to college. Maybe I can study law to search for truth. And、uh, um, for some reason, I just got my mind to set to study law. Maybe in my head, maybe I will think about we need a rule of law instead of maybe man. Because when men become crazy like a Mao, a psychopath, and you know become like godlike leader, we all worship him. And then he died. It's like a, we don't want it happen again. So I just wanted to study law.、Mm. Uh, it was a college degree. So I applied to all top five Chinese universities, and before I even took an exam, see they want you to take to choose before you even take exam. I could be shooting too high or shooting too low. And that's where my self confidence came to play. I was shooting very high because I <laughs> believe in myself. Then I just don't tell other people. So I showed all the top five universities to study law. And、uh, so when I studied very hard for two years, all two years high school from fifteen to seventeen, it's all studies for the test. Study for the test. So I made it. So nineteen eighty one, I went to Shanghai and、uh, Fudan University to study in law school. And、uh, my second time waking up was in law school, because I was told law is a tool for the party to use to govern the masses. You're not an individual; you're just masses. One of the masses. I said, "Well, I study law to search to search for truth and want to provide justice for people, regular people like my parents and my families or regular workers." No, it's a tool, so you better serve the party. Oh, so I was lost, depressed again, and that's when third year I met a college student from the United States,、mm-hmm. and he told me about America. He told me, he showed me actually a pocket constitution about Declaration of Independence. My、mm-hmm. English was so poor, I could not understand. I just remember all men are created equal, and then I could not even understand that. I just said, explain it to me. And he just said, basically tell me. You might be Chinese, you're woman, you're people of color, and but doesn't matter. We're all created by God. Our rights come from our Creator, not from any government. So he put the individual, <laughs> he put the individual rights and liberty into my mind. My light bulbs come on, and never turn off. And in order to see a a foreign foreign student, I had to register at the door to say, oh. Time in, time out. Who am I? Who I'm gonna talk to about what? So second time when I went back there to talk a little bit more, I refused to register. I just cheated. So I would、uh, when the old lady go to bathroom, go to pour hot water for tea. I would just tiptoe run upstairs and talk and then sneak out to leave when she was not around、mm. because I was telling myself 
I have individual rights. Yes. <laughs> I'm not supposed to let them know what I'm doing. You know, it's, you know, they they will arrest me, of course, if they found me, catch me. But I I was being a straight rat, so I just you know I don't want them to know what I'm talking about. For some reason, I know what I'm talking about is not allowed. Talk to a foreigner about individual rights and liberty <laughs> about America. That's just like a. Not PC at all. I could get into trouble. Treason, according to that government, right? It's not politically correct. And uh, I was a college student. You know, I could get kicked out. So I, I think that was my wake up moment. So he put something in my head. If some someday I give up on my native country, China, and I want to live happily, and this is the country I wanted to come. And I, I think. I think I was in college third year, so I was twenty, twenty years old.、Mm. I was just twenty years old, but I was treated like child in college. We were not allowed to date under mom. We were not allowed to date in college as a freshman because you you supposed to wait for party to introduce your spouse. You should focus on study. Oh、And、my gosh! Even university today, okay, every department. Has two lines of supervision. One is the Communist Party, and one is academic. So you didn't need to supervise you academically, but all the political stuff is controlled by the party committee chair,、mm. and、uh, and that one is number one boss. And they are in every school department. So make sure everybody is on the same page with the party. And they're doing that today in my school too. It's called the Xi Jinping thought. Remember, I told you about Chairman Mao thought. Colony Richard and Mao thoughts holding little red books. Now they're promoting Xi Jinping thought, and the Xi Jinping red app, a app for you to download on your cell phone to study. Then you get a better social credit score by passing the test, get a promotion, and they track you、mm. on the app and all the other apps on the phone, including the COVID test app. Every day people go get tested. If you get a po- like positive, you cannot go out. Mm. You 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 cannot go out represent your family and、um, two two hours a day to go shopping.、Mm. You have to stay home.、Mm. It's it's the same system. So, I hope we will understand that in the U.S. <laughs> so to go back for a minute, because、um, I I was wondering one of the things I wanted to ask you about in this segment was sort of spiritual life.、Um, if you、um, you know, did you have a spiritual life as a child?、Um, And、um, and maybe your parents, and then also like how did how did that evolve over time? And one of the things I thought was, you know, you said that rights are given to us by our Creator. So you know, obviously we we agree with that on this show, right?、Um, right. <laughs> but how did that strike you? I mean, a Creator did that. Was that something that you had thought about before, or was that new too, or what? No, what, I never what thought about that. I, my mother, my grandmother were Buddhists, so I just remember they used to take me to the temples.、Mm-hmm. So we would get down our knees, and we would、um, ask the Buddha for blessings, and we would take some fruits with us, and and we would light up the you know incense to say you know Buddha, Pusa Bao Yu, that means Buddha bless me. And then later we couldn't do that anymore, and we couldn't tell people that we were Buddhists because all religions were banned.、Mm. So if you call yourself Buddhist, I will I will never be allowed to join Mao's organization called the you know like the the Young Pioneer and the Red Guard. So communists all are atheists. 
they do not believe any religion, but they want to believe them. So they want to replace religion. They become the religion. They become right. religion, which is a very dangerous religion because you get lots of people, millions and millions, and killed. So I did not have a spiritual mm. spiritual life. As I said, I did not have fun, much fun at all, and. Uh, I don't know how I survived. I think I just become like a little street rat, and I had fun with my friends. But you just have to be careful. Sell your lips and don't say anything that could be reported to teacher, to school. And I had fun with my family. I loved my family members, even though they were ignorant, not educated. And uh, but uh, we had a Chinese dinner together. We see each other once in a while. So when he told me about individual rights and liberty, and our rights come from our Creator. It was really, it it was really the enlightenment moment for me、mm-hmm. to have that、uh, spiritual life to say, you know, okay. So, but it's a double life. So outside, I'm still good child, good student. I have to see all the PC stuff in order to play the game to survive in China. But I have my own little world,、mm-hmm. and just for myself, by myself. Don't tell anybody because they could turn over you to authorities. So I always.、Uh, That's why I I consider myself a very strong survivors of anything because、uh, I just keep everything to myself and to 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 escape to my little mental emotional spiritual world. But you don't tell anybody about it. And of course, when China when Mao died, China rebuilt the economy, and we had a fantastic time in college because. Eighties and cultural Renaissance,、mm. so we were even start to listen to the only club I enjoyed as a student is a classic music club, <laughs> and also I was able to、um, meet more foreign students, foreign professors, and uh, and and uh, remember before the Tiananmen Square massacre, nineteen eighty nine, China went through from eighteen nineteen eighty one up to that point, oh, a wild、uh, like a political. And conversations about what country should we have? Just economic reform, stick to socialism. We were starving, or we should actually have some kind of maybe political reform. We even don't know what that political reform might be. Could be two-party system. Could be people allowed to vote, and people have a way to channel themselves and have their voice to be heard. We don't know, but we're talking, and we even start to, you know. Have other music now, like、uh, people can buy, spend money buy a guitar, and we don't know how to play. Some people know we just like play for fun, <laughs> you know. When we have birthday party now, be like a school cafeteria food, and we'll get together. I had a picture with a couple of even foreign students, and、uh, and everybody looks so bright, and we could wear black bright colors. After second year in college, and we were allowed to date. Mm. And they could not stop us from dating anymore because people were dating anyway, just like private and right, private. Right, right, right. Like, they're exotic, and they're you know, and where did all the Chinese come from, right? <laughs> so, so that,、uh, so, so I think,、uh, I think that eighties up to that moment was best time of my life, and、um, because、mm. I made lots of lifetime friends in college, and I just don't remember all the foreigners I met, including American students. We lost in touch. But、uh, we were able to have a conversation. I had so much fun, and we were banned from dancing parties.、And、then later, they okay, you can have parties. So every weekend, I go to parties.、Mm. I dance until my shoes fall off, my feet hurting, <laughs> and it was so fun. I remember my disco party. So disco was popular in United States in the sixties. We're like twenty years behind. I just remember everybody was shaking their body and booty, and I 
feel so free just to like not oppress, not stick, very stiff. Yes, serious man, you know. Oh, it was so fun. I was able to wear more beautiful color dresses and have my hair laid down. We used to hair cannot lay down. Under mall, your hair has to be proof style. Ponytail, pigtail, or ugly unisex, like a boy <laughs> style for girls. And Mao wanted to create a genderless society. Think about that. Mm. They want to girls dress look like boys, mm. and they control their words. Like a husband wife cannot call each other husband wife. It's not a politically correct word. They want to call everybody comrade. So my mom dad call each other oh my. my comrade, my comrade. Mm. He said. So this is very scary, right? It's like, a, and I could not wear this clothes. I had to wear white, and green, and dark blue, a traditional, very politically correct colors in schools. At home, I will wear some colorful stuff. But I could not look like a sexy little girl. Like I want to look pretty. I want to. I had a crush on this boy. I could not say anything because, uh, you know, you you will go to principal office if you express, hmm. you know, you have crush on somebody. Write a love letter to some students. No, you cannot do that. I was just so. I mean, you cannot imagine how oppressive that was. So take us from college now to what what led you to America. So when I become a, a graduate of law school. I wanted to stay in Shanghai because my hometown, you know, in Sichuan, is still very isolated. So I was lucky to um, get one of the five positions as a faculty member in my same law school. Mm. And they, we were the first graduation class, sixty students. They desperately need people to stay there to continue to work. Mm. I had a good personality, so they let me to teach one class and manage on campus, uh, uh, like a, a lawyer's firm. Anybody who graduated from law school that time, you don't need a license to practice because. Uh, Remember, China shut down entire legal system. No rule of law. So, so if you have law degree, you can be lawyer. You can practice. So I was working with my dean to um, provide a consultation to Chinese companies where China rebuild its economy. I really like that job. Had fun. I also love my students. And to, by teaching one class, then later I I I just because remember my light bulb came on, and I could not turn off. But in law school, we still have to go to weekly political study meetings, and all law school faculty members must join Communist Party. Otherwise, uh, you're not allowed to teach either. Work your yeah. loyalty. So I had to go to study meetings, and 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 the people can tell I was not happy. I was just sitting there, you know, like um, don't participate. And so 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 my boss was constantly criticized me. And uh, so after a while, I just feel like, uh, am I going to China? Changing China, or I'm gonna just be oppressed all my life like this.、Mm. I could not have academic freedom of speech. I could not even go to dancing parties without criticize from my party boss.、Mm. So you're a faculty member now. You're 22. Don't go to dancing party anymore.、Mm. It's like what? <laughs> It's my personal life, personal time. Nothing to do with my job. So I was planning my escape, and、uh, university reopened. From the United States to us that time, and I had a friend who already made it to California University and shoot some pictures sent to me. He said, "I know you are not happy in China. You are depressed, but if you come to United States, you will be super happy. This country will suit your personality very well."、Mm. So I said, "Well, how am I going to leave that?、Mm. So I have to plan on it because to quit your job, you need a permission." From your party boss, and to go get a passport, you need a, your party permission、hmm. to go get a pa private passport. So I had to change my strategy to go to political study meetings, and to participate 
And mm. to say the things I don't mean to, oh, yes, I support the party, it's great, everything's great. Then I asked for permission from my party boss to leave China to quit my job. And he made me to sign an agreement in order for me to leave. And promise to go back to China to serve the motherland after I get my graduate degree in the U.S. Mm. on my own time, on my own dime. And or two consequences, kick you out of party. Okay, no problem with that, I don't care. Right. But, but number two is very tough. They're gonna kick my household registration from Shanghai to Chengdu. Everybody, when you were born, and you have a person, you, you're supposed to register your household. It's national ID to track you. And like when my parents got married, they form household, they go register in the local police station. And uh, that's how you get your um, coupons and food rationing stuff. And then when I was born, each child was born, it was added to household registration, like a little booklet. You use that to open up bank account, go to the hospital, go to school and get your food rationing coupons. And you, you're supposed to live here. Without permission, you're not supposed to go travel somewhere else. So if I do not go back, basically they're asking me to go back to Chengdu, back to where my household registration mm -hmm. is, and my personnel file will go back to Chengdu. That mm -hmm. means I, I will not be able to legally go to Shanghai to work, to live, because all my legal status will be back to Chengdu. Mm -hmm. So it's, like, it's a loss of rank, basically. Loss of that, rank, loss of job, and privilege. Yeah. My university's law school was and a wonderful And that's their way of keeping you in China so that you can't escape. Well, or well, that, if she didn't come back. Yeah, right? if I did not go back oh. on time, and they will kick me everything back to Chengdu, they means to kick me out of Shanghai. And, uh, and so I had to sign it. I had to bite my tongue and to apply for my passport seven times mm. every time they try to nature me why do you want to leave your motherland don't you love your country why do you want to go to imperialist america and i had to just say whatever you know pc stuff to get my passport then finally three times to american consulate in shanghai and got my visa and then my american sponsor you know um, paid for my air ticket and uh, so 1988, May 11th, that's the first night I arrived in America. I was two months before my 24th birthday. Yeah. And my first real birthday party was 24th in graduate school. Mm. All the Texas people, students, teachers, and professors threw me a party with a surprise birthday presents. I was so shocked and so surprised. Like people were so wonderful, so welcoming, and that was, a, probably greatest warm moment and after that point in in, in a, a brand new country i cannot even speak english how much in my pocket a hundred dollars borrowed mm. and uh, then i owe my professor twelve hundred dollars debt so i had to use my first two months graduate school ra like a research assistantship mm. paycheck to pay back my debt so i started in this country in the hall <laughs> But it's still higher than where you were. Oh, I'm living you know, I'm, I'm American dream now. But that's how how humbly I started in this yeah. country. So and uh, but uh, God is very good. And uh, the first night I arrived, I met my husband. Wow! The first night. The first night. <laughs> I think that's a good. That uh, is a very good spot to yeah. end our. <laughs> wanted to just mention a few things of what you said i was very struck by how you connected your spiritual life with having fun and how you didn't have a spiritual life you didn't have fun and when you came to america there was this instant 
you know, joy. And, and then this desire to get into law, not because the state is the law, but because you have this desire for justice and truth and this desire to help people see what the law really was. It's a, a, an inheritance, a, it's something to long for that's good, that respects the human person and not this ambiguous, uh, to control the masses, right? Like a dictatorship would be. So I thank you so much for your courage and what a gift it is for you to be here at all. And as we prepare for this uh, next segment, uh, I just, I'm very excited to hear more of your story, especially with your husband and all the future that came from that. So we'll be back in the next segment. Hello everyone. This episode is sponsored by Holy Angels Academy. Holy Angels is an independent school shining the light on the Catholic and classical tradition. With a focus on virtue and holiness, their mission is clear and simple, to help their students attain the end for which they were created, eternal happiness with God. Check them out at holyangelslouisville.com. Welcome back to Spirit Inspire. I'm John Soule, your host for today's episode. This is our third segment, and we've been uh, privileged to have as our guest Lily Tung Williams. She grew up under Chinese communism with Mao's Cultural Revolution, and she has just shared about her experience traveling to America and uh, all of what she uh, learned from there. So uh, we're getting into that, and I'm passing it over to my co-host Eric. To take it from here. All right. Well, I just kind of wanted to reflect real quick. Um, we've gone over a lot of information. There's been laughter. There's been tears. But I was just thinking um, kind of I said the prayer before we started, and it just happened to fall on me today. And um, when I was praying, kind of off the off the cuff, not, not in an extra Catholic way. It wasn't a glory be or a Hail Mary or anything. <laughs> it was kind of one of those prayers that's off the top of my head. And sometimes those work out and sometimes they don't for me. Uh, <laughs> but, but God always listens. And, um, and when I was praying, I said um, that this podcast would, would bring about the true, the beautiful, and the good. And um, I remember thinking at the time, I'm like, why don't I say those three things um, whenever, whenever I prayed those words? And, uh, and obviously because they point um, to God, but, but sure. uh, as it came out, um, I'm just thinking about the beauty with the classical music and, uh, and how touching that was and, and, and really just a Holy Spirit moment there. Yes. And then also um, the pursuit of truth mm-hmm. and that, that kind of enlightenment moment that, that you spoke about, Lily. So um, from there, um, just, just to go back and reflect over those things, but, but moving on, so you've landed in America and you said on the first day you land in America, you meet your husband. So I don't even have a question. I just want you to, to continue the story from there because I'm literally on the edge of my seat right now. <laughs> well, I was sponsored by a, a professor at the UT Austin, Texas, and he picked me up from an airport. And uh, as a sponsor, that means I didn't have money, right? I came over as a foreign student. And uh, so I'm supposed to stay at his place and until I get my own letter. So, but he said, before I even went to his house, he said, well, we're going to say hi to your dean of your school of social work where I'm going to study for a master's degree. And uh, the whole family is waiting. 
I said, oh, no, 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 I'm too tired. And I mean, I had air sick and sure. I was like 98 pounds. I was very, very skinny and uh, pale. He said, oh, no, whole, whole family is waiting. So then he locked on the door and uh, and I was behind him. And here is the uh, earthly mother, like my future mother-in-law opened the door to say, give me one garden rose. Welcome to Austin, Texas. Oh, it was so warm. I welcome right one garden rose from her own garden. And then she turned around and said, this is my oldest son, John. All I remember, my husband is about six feet tall and the very, very dark, deep blue eyes and with a big German nose. <laughs> <laughs> and I just look at him, I just thought it's like a, I mean, I tell people this joke all the time. I was like, I just came over from 1.4 billion Chinese or something. It's like, I, he looked like an alien to me. <laughs> <laughs> but he, I just remember he was a good-looking alien, and uh, I couldn't, I couldn't speak English very well. And he was very patient. He introduced me um, to other family members. He said, "Would you like to visit campus next day, UT Austin? I will take you." What happens that John was uh, getting his master's degree in uh, Texas A and M physics master degree. He was just visiting his mom. His mom said, "Stay tonight. We have a." a foreign student from China, from from uh, from Mongolia. So he imagined me big and tall riding horses. Like, <laughs> and then I show up this little tiny thing and it was really taken by surprise because he said, Mom, I'm not interested in Chinese girls because he was single that time. So mom <laughs> wanted him to stay. Say that we have lots of physics Chinese students. They all are like nerds or something. And then he made me, it's like, oh, interesting. And, uh, and, and uh, so he offered to um, let me tour the campus. I, I missed the connection, Lily, of how you ended up at John's mother's house. What The sponsor was next door neighbor. Next door neighbor. Okay. Yeah, so he picked me up, go say hi, because the dean actually was able to waive my GRE test. I was not good in English. I could not pass English test uh, in GRE. So wow. my sponsor, next door neighbor said, uh, I met this Chinese young lady who desperately want to get out of China and come to the United States, have a better life. Could you help her? Otherwise she could not get out. And so I was with the GRE. See, look, all these things just work together. And he already passed away. And uh, so that's how I got the lock on the door of the, you know, his okay. mother. Because I wanted to, that was another thing I wanted to ask you was, they, the, everybody was aware, or not everybody, but your professor was aware that you were trying to flee China. Yes. He wasn't just sponsoring you to come get a degree and go back. No. He was, he was, he was in helping on it. He was I, helping you. I, I told him okay. I was, I was desperate getting out of China, but in a legal way, how can I do that? And, and remind us how you got connected with him in the first place. He was a Fulbright um, professor okay. visiting China, giving lectures. And we met at a dancing party. Oh. He told me he's from Texas. I even don't know where Texas is. <laughs> I was in college. We just keep in touch. So he went to bed China actually two or three times. So first time we just met and have information. Then next time he come again and we met again. I And I told him, oh, I got a job in Shanghai. And you know, can you help me? I don't think I can stay here forever. And wow. uh, then he said, well, let me think about it. So he, help me so I my English wasn't good so he had, mm. had to help me to apply for graduate school mm. and to pay for all the fees whatever I need to do and is his to, Chinese good no he was just an what, how, American professor how did, how did you guys communicate was it through uh, yeah so like a dictionary I have a little notebook I have a little wow. dictionary yeah sometimes I would 
you know, broken English to communicate, and he will write down one word. I go find the dictionary oh, to say wow. what the Chinese name means. Then it's back and forth. Years before Google Translate. <laughs> yeah, we, should, we can have Google Translate <laughs> online. So, so it was a big risk to talk to him. You, yeah. Would you say that? Like yes. to tell him, I want to get out. Oh, no, that don't was, tell anybody. <laughs> Well, so, right, I'm saying yeah. you you took a risk to trust this man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you, you've only met him a couple times. Mm. He was a he was a professor in journalism, and uh, he was a, a big Democrat, liberal, but uh, we share something in common. We both don't like Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> so, so he understands why I need to get out, and he was willing to help me. And as for that, I'm always so grateful yeah. because wow. he understood this threat wow. of, of Communist Party. And uh, so now he had to sign all the paper for me as a financial sponsor for foreign students who don't have income. Then he talked to his next door labor, please help. Wow. So John's mother said, oh, I, and she, it's kind of funny. It's kind of really funny. It's destiny. She saw my picture with two long braids when I was 17 and said, oh, my son, John might like her. <laughs> and, and he was single for 29 years. That's never Providence. Had, never, never, had a, never had a date even, never had a girlfriend. Wow. He was single all those life, just waiting, waiting. waiting for you. <laughs> it's, it's just unbelievable. And then I showed up and because his mom helped me, and uh, and uh, so we are somehow already connected before I even show up. Mm. She saw my picture. She wanted to help. Mm. Use, and, and you and, had to use a dictionary to communicate with him as well, or did he? At know? the beginning, yes. Wow. And I, I carry my little pocket the dictionary all the time in graduate school for the first year. Mm. And write down. I was very very diligent student. Like, a, um, they, they thought I was shy. No, I was not shy because I could not speak <laughs> English. So I asked them to write down and later the whole family know, oh yeah, you just couldn't speak English because now I'm so assertive. <laughs> yeah, like I know how to now, speak. Now we kind of wish you were shy. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that's what they say. We thought you were very sweet, I very know. nice. <laughs> you know, then you learned English, right? Yeah. Now I tell my husband, my kind of like a um, kind of, hey, do this, do that. It's like, I wish you were just, wish your English were not so good. <laughs> Can we bring back the dictionary, please? <laughs> Yeah, that, but, but the thing is, uh, it was my biggest barrier, no money. So no money, I, I was in debt, so I even don't know. So here's another thing, I don't know how I'm going to survive, how to pay for um, graduate school. Mm. And I show up the first night, and then met this wonderful family and my future, you know, husband. And they didn't tell me, I got you a job. I said, I don't know what to do. I said, well, I am a... Organizational psychologist, I do research. You just check numbers for me. Do not require English. I understand mm. that. So uh -huh. basically, I would check this set of numbers, match this set of numbers, and they, they give me a program on computer to learn how to type. Yeah. Like catch something, drop down, how to type. I <laughs> like, even didn't know how to type in like English. Mario teaches typing yeah, so <laughs> I, 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 I was so grateful. It's like, thank God, thank God. Because uh, so first night, I know how to pay for my new life, wow. my university. So this all happened on the first day you were I know, there. isn't it amazing? <laughs> isn't it amazing? And of course I dated John for um, two years before we mm -hmm. officially got married, but it just uh, by having a, a wonderful neighbors in that neighborhood, have this family help me, 
And my dean would give me ride from this neighborhood to go to graduate school to work and go to school because I had a part time job as as her research assistant, and、uh, and I had to leave my sponsor's home to go to another family and to trying to get a free rent by cooking and cleaning. And exchange for free room rental,、mm-hmm. so I had to go to different families to save money to pay pay back my debt.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> and but I, you know, it's it's all work out good. But I was just holding my breath every day, you know. Hopefully, come on, come on, learn English very quickly. And I had to make all average B in order to stay in graduate school、oh, on the waiver. <laughs> if I did not make all average GPA B, I would get a kick out of graduate school. I don't know if I could do that with only having spoken English my whole life. <laughs> Some days I'm on the fence with my graduate program. But here's here's the thing: my professors were so nice.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. They understand I was trying my best,、yeah. and my first paper was horrible. I could not even understand when I read it today. But they all gave me B because、mm. they know if I did not get a B, I will get a, I will go back to China. I will get kicked out of school.、Wow. And they all gave me B. They said, "Lily, we understand you try your best." And my and my classmates were so wonderful. They helped me. They gave me notes. And I record the lectures. I go home study in order to do my homework.、Mm. And wonderful. The, <laughs> think of the grades that you were receiving, like the law, you know, and your professors were looking at the law, the grade, not as a, a rule to follow, but as a means by which to save your life. You、yes. are a human person with dignity, and、mm. they saw that.、Mm-hmm. What a miracle! I know. <laughs> I feel like a. I my existence is a miracle.、Mm. My mom was pre-born mature. My grandmother tossed her into cage with pigs to say, "Go ahead, die," because she was pre-born, premature, would not survive like a, like a, like a maybe four pounds or something. And she just keep crying, keep crying. You read my father's story, but read my mother's tribute. That after she passed away, I wrote her beautiful tribute. And、uh, she just will not die. She refused to die. She keep crying. Then my grandmother said, "Okay, feed her some porridge." Because my grandmother had no milk, and my mom survived with all the premature baby's bad health, medical conditions. Then, you know, my mom really was like a four feet and four point seven. You know, shorter than me, and very skinny, and highly, highly nearsighted. And my dad saw her introduced by somebody to date. So like, oh, I don't want to date her. She looks like that. Like, well, premium, wear big thick glasses and all that. But for some reason, my dad later always want to. Break up with her, and she will pursue my dad. And after three <laughs> times they got married, I was their firstborn. And I feel like I was a miracle child.、Mm-hmm. My mom was a miracle child. My dad survived, like as often out of six children, grew up as often because her his parents all died. I had one grandma I knew. My biological grandma, all other three grandparents I never met, all died before I was born. So it's like a. All that story. Someday I'm gonna write an autobiography. Yeah, you should. <laughs>、wow. Yes, like a, every life story、yeah. is a miracle. I want. I wanted to speak really quick to. I was an exchange student in Sweden for a year, so I had. I, I knew some Swedish going in, but I, I had the experience of being in a foreign country and speaking a foreign language, and.、Um, And you really you you come across as a different personality, like you said. You know, you can't 
you can't understand the jokes, nor can you make them. You can't speak as fast. I remember, you know, I spoke a little bit of Swedish and my host family knew that, but my host dad would, you know, be talking to me and I'd be nodding and smiling. He said, do you understand what I said? No. <laughs> and here's a funny story. My husband yeah. likes crack jokes. When we're dating, he will crack jokes all the time. I would look at him very seriously. It's not funny. He's <laughs> like, don't, don't. Don't even tell me jokes. It's not funny. I get mad. <laughs> and I did not even laughing at the comedies, right? Really? Until near end of my graduate school, my English started getting better. I went to some comedy clubs. Mm. I start laughing at their jokes. <laughs> like, I start to finally feel like, oh, I'm integrated into maybe an American society. I start to appreciate jokes. That's yeah. why I don't want people to cancel anything because eventually, you know, life is about fun. I think the jokes make you laugh and the laugh make people face look so happy. Yeah. It, it's great thing. You know, yeah. great thing in life is to have some kind of, you know, fun and jokes, you know. <laughs> I, 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 my church is, uh, has a large Hispanic community mm -hmm. and, and the, the interactions between what they call the Anglos and my wife's Vietnamese. So she's Asian, wow. uh, but she, uh, at our church, she is an Anglo. <laughs> and so, uh, she, uh, she's like, am I Anglo or, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but she, how come she, she's an Anglo in your church? Just cause there's only Hispanic and Anglo. There's like, uh, oh. like that's how they, that's how they divide up the They're communities. They're not going to create a like, separate category for friends. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Uh, you understand but, aging accents yeah, very well then. Yeah. Because we have similar accent. <laughs> <laughs> well, she she was actually born here, but but what I, I said all that to say is like sometimes there's miscommunications just because of the language barrier, and so I think your story really speaks to the, this fact, you know, of going from oh we thought you were shy to no actually you know you're this very yeah. talkative bubbly person. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's good to keep in mind when we're interacting in a second language that that other person might not be we might not be perceiving them as mm -hmm. they truly wish they could express right, themselves. Right, right, because you couldn't, you didn't know how to express it. Yeah. It's like always, uh, okay, can you write down this? Yeah. I don't even say, can I write down this? I just give you a pen and a paper for you to write down. And you have to write very clearly so I can go look at my dictionary and look at both, you know, what it means in Chinese. And I could not even understand English dictionary to find out what this English word means. I have to use Chinese dictionary. And I still have them in my house <laughs> today, yeah. I still occasionally use them. What's, <laughs> one, use of your, what's one of your favorite uh, English words that you've learned? And uh, my actually, I remember this uh, first time when I heard this uh, word called uh, acute. I just don't understand cute. what acute is. Acute? Uh, like hey, somebody's cute. cute. Oh, oh yes. they always say, oh, he's cute, oh, he's cute. cute. I don't know. What it is? I cannot find the Chinese uh, translation, you know. But I remember cute, cute. I write down Q U T E. So I finally got it. You know, it's just like that's the way they express it when somebody yeah. they like, huh? They look like the way to them is cute or kind of attractive, right. you know. Or oh, even babies cute, you know. Adorable. adorable. I heard you say the word sexy earlier, and my my yeah. mo my mother-in-law says sexy, and I think she also uses it sometimes when she when we would say cute, she mm. says sexy. I think there might be some commonality there. When I was in college, oh, that's right. but here's another thing I learned also English has lots of different words at different levels because I also learned the word attractive. Mm. I was visiting this uh, um, Chinese friend and his roommate actually was a, um, a European student. 
I think a French guy or something, a French guy. And I, I couldn't speak English to him. And、uh, but my friend could speak better English. He said, "Oh, it's like asking him, 'What do you think about her?'" I just heard this word, attractive. And、uh, later I have to say, "Hey, what is this word?" And he told me he wrote down. So I say, "Oh, that's what he means." <laughs> I say French. <laughs> so it's like he's a French. Yeah, I was college student, you know, that we have some, you know, European students on campus. So so cute, pretty Chinese likes to say handsome for men.、Mm-hmm. And now even Chinese use English word now. Cool. Yeah. Like cool. cool. They have a Chinese translation of English word cool and the talk show, talk show and fans. It's all those new Chinese、uh, words. I even don't know because I left China a long time ago.、Oh, yeah, yeah. I have to ask my Chinese friend, what does this Chinese word mean? Like a fans, French, like oh fans, like lots of people on YouTube, on your podcast,、yeah. you have fans. Yeah. Okay. I was like, oh, see, like the 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 language is evolving, is is improving, right? With all the new modern terminologies and stuff Now, that、uh, I have to keep up. Yeah. <laughs> Now, I wish she had that word back in the day. I know. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a different right. level. Oh, it's like a different kind of fans. Yeah, yeah. Too dark. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> dark humor. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, as we、uh, conclude our、uh, third segment, I just again reiterate just what a joy it is for you to be here with us because、um, it, it as you're sharing your story here, I feel like. There's this peace that's coming because you're now coming into America. You're, you're getting a, a established. I mean, being able to tell jokes and understand jokes, being able to laugh. I mean, laughter is like a shared experience, right? It builds community, gives you a sense of belonging, right? Like you're a part of a family. And、uh, I just want you to feel even more welcome because I know it's it's a lifelong journey of healing. You know, it, just because it happened thirty, forty years ago, doesn't mean you're not still processing and making sense of it, and having it, and still longing for that deep sense of family. I might still discover some of the memories I swept under the rug someday,、mm. because、uh, I, 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 I start to discover more and more when I lived with my um, um, younger brother and my dad in Colorado, just temporary for a few months, and I, they start. If my brother, who is five years younger, remember some stuff, I don't. That means I don't know how much stuff I, I was traumatized as a child. I swept under the rug. Yeah. That's a, so. My daughter who has a psychology degree, maybe she will have mom. <laughs> That's right. That's right.、Yeah. I think we'll get into some of that because,、yeah. like our last segment, we'll get into a lot of the, the what now? How do、yeah. we handle this? So、yeah. we'll be back in a short bit for our final segment. Everyone, thanks again for watching Spirit Inspire. Hey everyone! Here at Spirit Inspire, we want to serve our community by highlighting God's work in our parishes, schools, and apostolates. We hope to bring renewal and unity between all those in the body of Christ. If you would like a shout out in the next episode of Spirit Inspire, go to spiritinspire.com or email us at spiritinspire@gmail.com. Thanks and God bless. Welcome back to Spirit Inspire for our final segment here with Lily Tung Williams.、Uh, we've been discussing so much with her about her life in China and now in America, and、uh, and really getting into the depth of the difference between forms of government, ways of life, ways of looking at law and laughter and、uh, and true family. And、uh, I have a final. Few questions that I really wanted to throw、uh, toward you,、uh, Lily, just to kind of get your sense of、um, 
where you've been and where you're headed, right? Because this is your story, but also you're a living witness to, in many ways, resurrection, hope, right? Joy. And so three questions. What are the fundamental flaws of communism based on what you experienced and, and in theory even? But then what are the subtle warning signs that maybe we in America should be aware of? And then how can we preserve an authentic life-giving culture in American life today? I think that uh, the communism Socialism all sounds wonderful at the beginning. That's why lots of people are very easy to buy it. And because of this ideology started always by offering people and free stuff. We're all big community. Everybody takes what they need. We all are equal. We have um, free everything. And, and it sounds wonderful. People like that, right? People like to hear that. But, they, but the people don't understand the flaw of that. It just uh, no no country ever becomes successful and prosperous by adopting those ideology and systems. But instead, it's always a shortage of all the products, shortage of food, and people are living under pressing, and the people are not happy, enslaved, and don't have any personal choices. So you got to differentiate the ideology. And from the actual consequences, when you implement those systems, even like Americans when they first come here, right? They also tried, and you know, like it just just did not work out. And to connect with you, said, uh, for example, there are some warning signs for me in this country. I I I'm very kind of concerned. Is that uh, first of all, for some reason, our youth, they lack of truly understanding or learning opportunities in our educational system about what happened in real history and what the, who is the virgin of history. And uh, I have some issues with what's going on today in schools, what they're teaching to our children, especially you know the public schools. And uh, um, I'm just very worried. It's like, uh, why today Americans and other folks are more critical issues to me, which is, uh, inflation and the people's individual rights and liberty and uh, be united you know like instead of all this divisiveness division i'm very worried because uh, you know like i told you what happened under mao it's division right it's, it's identity politics it's black and five red black classes versus five red oppressor versus press I really don't like that. I want to, I think most people are good people, regardless of your skin color and race. And we need to be also focused on our common ground. Uh, we, we, we all want the best for our country, our communities, and our people, our families to live in peace, prosperity, and live an American dream. And the government is limited and leave us alone. But right now, I just, I don't see that way. It's not like the same country when I try to, you know, kind of escape China, um, you know, by lying to my Communist Party boss to come to this country. It's not like I thought America would be always the same country I came here for, but it's not the case anymore. So I'm very worried about that. I think by sharing my personal stories, I hope I send out very good warnings and positive messages to bring people from all walks of life together because we all are created by our creator by god we are equal and we should judge people based on their individual characters not based on their race and skin color
or gender or whatever, you know. So um, did I answer you all your questions you have? Uh, yeah, that was pretty solid stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what are your last part of your question? I think I missed uh, How can we preserve an authentic life-giving culture in American life? One, one of the things you said yeah. you wanted to talk about was like right. what you like about America. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and exactly. So, you know, well, so before we talk about preserving it, I sure. mean, you have you have this perspective of someone who is coming in from the outside. I've heard it. I, I don't remember exactly the data and things like that, but I've heard it said that immigrants much more often achieve the American dream uh, in the sense of they start with nothing. And and my in-laws are, are that, too. They're they're the my wife is first generation born here, but my in-laws are the immigrants from Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Started with nothing, worked their way up to owning mm -hmm. two houses and a Mercedes. And, wow. Um, you know, and, yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's I amazing. love those my, stories. My yeah. father-in-law is the hardest worker I know, and, and mm -hmm. but they, they know that, that that dream is still a reality. But it's, sometimes a lot of American young people don't think that it's a possibility for some and, reason. And there's this trait too, like they want our kids to hate America. And uh, oh, yes. I understand America does have history of slavery. And there, you know, history is history, no matter if it's good or bad, but the real history, those things happen. We need to have a very objective attitude to teach real history, to say, here's a, something good, something we're not proud of, it's bad, it's evil, slavery is all evil, and we need to try to, of course, you know, reduce, you know, even there's still slavery in the world today in some other countries, right? But we need to move forward as a country after the 60s civil rights movement and we need to get the people more united mingle you know and it doesn't matter i'm aging i'm here and you're white I, I you know it doesn't matter because we i don't see people based on their skin color i want to see if he's a nice guy or not right that's more important to me and some people like me who fled really oppressive regimes come to this country for my 34 years in this country, I really feel very welcomed. Doesn't matter where I live, doesn't matter which state I live, I really feel very welcomed. I might have one incident, somebody called me bad names on like a road accident or something, but I stood up, you know, for myself and she's gone. So I don't, I'm not a victim, I'm not oppressed. And also that uh, I want to always encourage like Chinese Americans, when you feel something's not right, then stand up for yourself, and but but don't um, don't always blame on racism because we also bear some personal responsibility to achieve American dream and to be assertive, to go get that job and to negotiate with your boss, to start your business, to make money, to invest wisely. So personal responsibility, I think it's also American traditional values. You got to work hard. You got to learn how to invest money and become successful. If I could have a three home business today, after I come to this country with nothing, and uh, I have financial freedom to do this with you guys, right? Tell my stories. Then the proof to you, this is the greatest country on earth. Anybody can come from any other country, start with nothing, could not even speak English, and live American dream. Tell me which other country I can go. And I just finished my congressional race, I did not win, but which country I can go to do what I can do in this country. So I love our country, and I hope that uh, we all can be united to achieve the same thing called American dream here, 
and, and uh, be more positive and respectful of each other, promote life, love, and respect and trust. And the hope that's the American way that we can, you know, move forward. It's so hard. Sorry, John, to okay. interrupt. But, you know, in, in, we're in a very polarized culture right now. Mm-hmm. And it's so like I, I've been talking about this with not only my uh, more conservative friends, but my more liberal friends as well. But it, it's so hard to um, to call for moderation. It's very easy for the for the ends of the spectrum to to cry out and to to set their hard lines. But it's it, it's it seems silly to go everyone yay moderation like um, and and, And civil society needs yeah and it's it's hard to be a cheerleader for moderation because the moderates tend to be lower key and they tend to just want to go about and live their life and i think uh, some partially Mm -hmm. blame should be on social media too Mm -hmm. they cancel culture like what you said what you did 10 20 years ago can come back bite you you can lose your job lose your career and the people are afraid to even speak up. Mm. And then you you go to Facebook jail or something, you know, like on YouTube <laughs> channel, I have YouTube channel too, then YouTube channel can be shut down, Twitter can be shut down. That uh, this kind of divisiveness is really bad. I, I, I think that uh, people should keep things in perspective. We will continue to speak up, but let's use a softer tone. Let's use a more effective, inclusive language. And uh, don't, because uh, it's not good for our country, for our people. If you say, I think those are minorities, really. Maybe you got a 10% on this side, 10% on the right side. They're all very loud and fight each other. But most people are in the middle. Mm-hmm. And most yes. people, look, look at my state, New Hampshire. You got a 42% independence in the middle. and Don't even identify with any parties. So, so we need to have some common sense. And I would love to, you know, connect with people who are not even on my side, but just listen to them, just have a conversations. Maybe something I'm missing and they want their voice to be heard. There's nothing wrong with that. And we sometimes identify problems correctly. Oh, you think that's problem? I think that's problem. But the thing is that we don't have to agree on solutions. But how do we have best solutions? It's by sitting down, have conversations, discussions, ask questions to have to pick the most you know, good solutions for our country, for our problems, instead of, okay, you are bad, you are bad. And like um, all the name calling stuff just doesn't really help. <laughs> One thing that you were speaking about with the, the American dream and how so many young people today don't understand that. And I wonder to myself if things like social media uh, or you know any of the attitude of traveling somewhere and striking it rich, winning the lottery, all of these types of get rich quick, quick fixes, instant gratification, if some of that has not contributed to the breakdown of people's ability or desire mm-hmm to understand what the American dream actually requires. Because what you did was not come to America and get rich quick. Yeah, things fell into place on some level in one day, but you didn't marry your husband that day. It was a couple of years Two ago. Years. No one <laughs> spent time being patient, right? I couldn't push him um, away. <laughs> exactly, and, and, and learning how to handle your desires for love, right? But then also with working toward your job. I mean, you had to work hard. You had to spend days, weeks, months, years of yeah. really doing hard work and building up 
this dream slowly. Yeah, I'm like、right? lots of immigrants. I was laid off when I was working full time year of two thousand. I was working for a corporation. All of a sudden, I feel like my American dream came to a halt. I was panic mode. Oh my god, we just we have three kids. My parents were living with us. Now I lost my job. I have to relearn my husband's job alone, and I was shut the door in my master bedroom, just just thinking, thinking, what should I do? What I should do? And I was so afraid, but I had the courage to say, maybe I should start my own business. I will create my own job for myself. I will never get fired. <laughs> and、uh, and I, so when my husband come home, I said, "Can we be frugal? Live on your salary alone?" He said, "Yes, we could. That's why we bought that house. We could support the house mortgage by one salary. We have to be super frugal." So I had the little bit freedom to say, "I'm going to try to start my own business." I swear to myself, I will never get a pink slip. I will never get fired. Walk to the door. That afternoon by 4 p.m., gather my stuff from a, a corporation. <laughs> so I, so I did it. I, but I did not succeed. I took me eight years to become profitable, eight years, and to test different direction of my self-employed business. What I should do in order to make money to pay, help family to pay bills. And but it's you have to be persistent in what you are pursuing in life. There's no quick riches. And there's no quick way to just all of a sudden like like.、Uh, also, we cannot demonize rich people. Look,、uh, you know, it's like when somebody say you did not build that, I did not build that. So tell me how many years I have to work so hard to build my own successful home business. It started two thousand, and now it's twenty two years. But the first eight. I was lucky to rely on my husband's salary. Otherwise, I probably could have to just go get any kind of job to support my family. But I was focused on my business building, business building, and also be mom for my three kids. So now I am a, like my husband retired. So now it's like okay, dear, now I can you know work hard. I'm still working. Don't worry, enjoying retirement. We have home business run together. But most times I'm still working, making money, and、uh, so he can enjoy his retirement. But so you take turns, right? Like、uh, so, you rely on each other and, and have have a strong marriage relationship, and and、uh, both parents together really help our three kids also to navigate their young adult life. You know how how to learn from your parents, how you can navigate hardship in your life to overcome. You know one obstacle until next one. So there's lots of lessons that we can pass down to our children. But、uh, but still. Everything is on your shoulder. You cannot have an entitlement attitude to blame on something else. Because once you do that, then your self internal drive for success is reduced to minimum. It's easy to blame other people to ask government to help you for free stuff like cancel student loan. This or that. But it says the most important person to control your destiny and change your life to live American dream is you. It's yourself as individual, which is the smallest minority on earth, and I'm just proof that I can do it, and so can you. Especially if you're born in this country. <laughs> and I, I think you know, there's a, like you said, there's a difference between in、uh, entitlement to wanting the government to give you things, and you know, trusting in God and His providence. 
in him giving you things because him giving you things requires cooperating with him, listening to him, trusting in the people he's put in your life, doing hard work. Whereas the government can oftentimes strip you of human dignity and not see you as a person, but as a number and as an object. And uh, there's that attitude of productivity. Whereas God, I think is more focused on fruitfulness and cooperating with his will because his will his plan for you is the best plan that can possibly exist for you because he made you. He knows you. The government doesn't know you. Mao didn't create you. I mean, you saw him in the clouds, but that doesn't mean he was there in the clouds. He didn't care about me. He didn't didn't care, care, right? right? God loves you, and he loved you the whole way, even in the midst of the darkest Mm -hmm. days. So freedom religion is very important to me. I'm I'm a very starchy supporter of that. And also... I love the um, conservatives and religious people to help each other in their communities, in their churches, and start private charities. If people are truly compassionate, there are lots of Americans are, I, I, I believe it's good cause for you to go start your private charity, get the people organized, help the people in your local community in need of help, services, financial, or emotional support. Go ahead, do it. Pursue your dream. That's a, you know, also go and dream you can pursue. But the sense that when you rely on government, they just don't understand where is government power and the money come from. It's from a forced taxation, tax people and redistribute wealth. In the process, there are lots of those money got squandered, wasted, not productive, and, uh, and then also bureaucratic nightmares and uh, all that regulations. It, it doesn't really help people really in need of help at the bottom level. But if you go help them directly, it's a lot more productive, effective. And that's not to say that there shouldn't be like social safety nets for people who you know, temporarily need help or, oh, yes, or something like that. Yes, yes, um, yes. Because that can a be, hand that up, can not be a hand out. what yeah. some people might be hearing as you say that. It, you know, there there's a difference between sort of a permanent reliance on the government and then you know, you're down on your luck and we need to reach out and help you and support right, you. The right. government, the government can, maintaining order, right? Yeah. Helping the society flourish well, and, and, not. Pro- and providing people for the things they need. Yeah. And the rule of law is very important. Like the law, when we talk about equality, most time we're talking about equal protection under the law. And uh, I'm against uh, corporatism because that's what the you know, politicians do that all the time, use taxpayers' money to fund their cronies and special interests, mm-hmm. which is wrong because people people say, oh, that's a crony capitalism. That's what, I don't even want to use capitalism because that's just corporatism, mm-hmm. that the people are in bed with big government or, and, and politicians, and they can have this access to taxpayers' free money from the government that the people have to work hard for, which is totally wrong, right? And the general welfare should be concerned of the people who got elected to really truly represent your voters and your people who elected you. And you shouldn't sell out to special interests, make deals and behind people's backs. And, uh, and, and you shouldn't also not to care about people at the grassroots level dearly instead of people who are already 
pretty wealthy. They did well in our free market system, and they can take care of themselves. They don't need the special perks, but we need to have a compassion, generally, and the charity, and for the people who are truly in need of help, our senior citizens, our poor people, our young children, and the disabled people at the grassroots level. You know, I would like to say that a more effective way to help those people by having the grassroots, you know, by even having like federal money, for example, right, and block grant to the state level,、hmm. because at local level, services can be provided with higher quality, and also even private vendors can subcontract to provide quality services, reduce all the red tapes and all the waste and frauds in the middle of process. That's where lots of federal dollar go. It's got wasted. So, and, Lily,、yeah. bring it,、yeah. bring us home as we kind of we're about to wrap up. So, yeah,、um, bring us home in your personal story. So you, we talked about. The hopelessness under Mao, and the joy and laughter that you found in the U.S.、Um, where Where are you now?、Uh, as you you know, you, you, as you, spiritually, I mean,、um, I read an article about your dad. We kind of alluded to it. He got baptized. Your mom got baptized.、Uh, you know, you you have now life in America. You're able to explore spiritually.、Um, where where are you now as as we look forward, and what gives you hope? I consider myself a very spiritual person, and even the horror of communism could not kill my spirit. I survived.、Oh, we can see that. Yeah, so I survived, <laughs> and I'm super happy, grateful, and fun loving, and you know,、uh, in my new country. And I tend to continue that spirit. I also love. Liberty, individual rights, and love to have fun, and love to connect with you know people from all walks of life. I just feel like、uh, seems like there is a, a place for me and to go to connect with people with my stories and continue to speak up about my stories and my messages and my love for the country for the American people. And I hope that message and stories will bring all of us. And together, I just feel like,、uh, hey, if we really are united as people and respect each other, and there's there's nothing we cannot really achieve in this country. My dad is living with my、um, brother and his wife, and my mom passed away. But I feel like I'm still talking to my mom. You know, she's in heaven now. She's a very sweet, nice lady. Always very compassionate. Always give. You know, like in China, when she was so poor, she would give. Her very little food to somebody who was begging the street because they lost leg, lost arm. They were truly poor, you know. And she always say, you know, Buddha bless you. And so I think our people need to show more understanding, respect, and compassion for each other. And、uh, so I'm gonna actually go back to New Hampshire. Maybe you know I've been giving money every month to a food bank. I think I would like to maybe get involved with more local charities、mm. and to show that hey, as a community, we can help each other out. And、uh, I I go to this、uh, my local town church. Sometimes on Sundays, I just feel go there. We sing songs together. I just feel so peaceful. And then、uh, I have a, a Chinese、uh, um, political refugee, my friend, who 
uh, was present in China for seven years. He's a Christian. He will tell me the Chinese English translation on his phone um, about the Bible. <laughs> yeah, because I said, oh, I had, you know, like that's really hard to say, very tiny little one. And he will say, here's my phone. Here's the Chinese translation because his English is not very good. So we're singing songs together and with the music, with the piano, with the fellowship and from local town. I mean, I, I I just cannot show enough appreciation for America. So, you know, I, I love this country and I, I gotta, think for you. I've got to throw this out here because this is a Catholic podcast, but the largest, uh, I think, I think now it's the largest parish. So that's like our church plus their community in North America is in Canada. Oh. And it's called um, the Shrine of the Chinese Martyrs. Um, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah. So, they have lots of Chinese immigrants there. Yeah, lots of Chinese immigrants. Um, but yeah, so the Shrine of the Chinese Martyrs, uh, I would recommend it definitely to our listeners also look into this, but uh, it, it's very fast growing. Obviously, lots of lots of Chinese immigrants. So um, yeah, I would, uh, and I want to throw this at you, Lily. Definitely look into maybe, have you ever been to a Chinese Catholic church? Have you, have you ever been to one? No. Maybe maybe that's uh, maybe that's my challenge for you. Is I should to, go to Canada. Or do you have one? Maybe, maybe <laughs> Canada. There might be one closer by. There, right. in, there might be one in New Hampshire. I don't know. <laughs> you know I don't know. Uh, but uh, yeah, definitely get on Google and see. So um, that that's going to be my thing is uh, maybe throw you towards a, a Chinese Catholic church to just check it out. Yeah, um, I, I taste think, and see. Yeah, I have some uh, um, brother sisters. I think I met their Catholics in New Hampshire. Yeah. I think it might be Massachusetts because there are lots of Chinese mm. in Massachusetts. Okay. Okay. I, I will. I will find. I've out. never heard about there being lots of Chinese in Massachusetts. So that's <laughs> definitely <laughs> my trivia question. Boston, Boston, <laughs> right, right, cool. right. Yeah, cool. and, and there are questions. So I just don't know about the, the um, Catholic, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, Chinese church. Yeah. And so that's that's a um, something that uh, we can probably find out if you find out maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also look into the who the Chinese martyrs, uh, they, they, the Chinese martyrs were, because um, I'm sure that's an extraordinary story. You know, lots of the Chinese immigrants in Canada are from Hong Kong. From Hong Kong. Yeah, because wow. they had to they had to they had to flee Hong Kong after that uh, just got uh, took over, you know, by China. Oh yeah. Yeah. So one hundred hundred thousand people left Hong Kong for Canada, UK. And those English Commonwealth countries that they could go to. Surviving in what I think is like the underground church there. You know, the yeah. things that they had to do. Yeah, the, the Chinese courageous. Uh, the Chinese home churches are banned. So you have to go to, the Christians in China have to go to Chinese government and sectioned churches mm. with a license. And one of the um, trades they want you the church to have, you have to take down the cross on mm -hmm. the top of building. So I saw the people lock down arms to protect their church and the cross, and they even get arrested, and and, and uh, so they are fighting. But if you go to home church, you can get arrested and get locked up. Mm -hmm. So people have to be very quiet when they go to home churches. So I think uh, as we begin to conclude this segment, um, or this episode, or this episode yeah, <laughs> right, right. I know we've been here a while now. We're going to talk for about three more hours. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's powerful for us to maybe recognize that your story is, uh, you know, on some level one in a billion, right? And uh, it's an incredible gift that you've been here to share your story, to witness to so many in America over these past 34 years, but also to, to pray for those who 
did not have that fortune and who may have perished or are still suffering in the underground churches, in the underground society, even if they're locked inside of their own selves in ways that may, maybe they need prayers, they need hope, and uh, that we can uh, keep them in our thoughts and, and, and prayers as an audience. Yes. Uh, and I thank you all for, for being with us uh, today. I know it's been intense, but beautiful. Uh, Lily, do you have any final words for our audience members? And yes, if you like my stories, you would like to share, I have a, a personal website at lilytongwilliams.com. Um, uh, you can also Google my name and I'm on social media everywhere. I've been telling my stories for a while. So I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, YouTube. So I, on YouTube, there are lots of videos I trying to um, just uh, teach our students about China and clips and also my speeches and you can all share if you're not on social media and you can just go to my YouTube channel directly, Lady Tang William, to watch some of my, you know, like uh, the speeches, even including like uh, some videos where I was talking to students. Well, I still interview by students. Well, this yeah. will be another one on yes, YouTube yes, yes. as well. So. Yeah, so uh, it's been my pleasure to yes, be here with yes. you. Thank you for being very here. very fun. And uh, I'm glad we get to know each other now really well. Yes, <laughs> yes. that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you again for being here. and. Thank you all for uh, joining us, and we will see you all next time on Spirit Inspire. God bless you all.